right, Romans chapter 10 tonight. Romans chapter 10. I hope you all are ready for a killer long message. I'm not. I'm going to try to not make it killer long. But be prepared to do a lot of reading tonight. We've got to go to a lot of scripture tonight. A very helpful thing in your Bible study. Whenever you are reading something in the New Testament and it refers back to an Old Testament passage, it will do you well to go back and read that entire passage. It's obvious what the writer is doing many times. It's just making reference to a part of the Bible, but it's not going to just write out the whole thing. Otherwise, it would be really long. But if you actually go back and you read that entire passage, it gives way more clarity to the passage and to why, uh, what he's talking about. And so we're going to do that tonight. Uh, we're going to go back and look at passages from the Old Testament that Paul quotes in Romans chapter 10. And when we do, this chapter will become very clear what it's talking about. And uh, we will see that what it's talking about does not jive well with what many people try to teach about Israel. But it does go just happen to go along very well with what we teach because not trying to be boastful or anything, but we try to use the whole Bible here. And I think, I think we're as honest as we can possibly be when it comes to these things. So let's go ahead and jump right into it and be prepared for some reading. But it says in verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And if you remember last week, I used these visuals where we have national Israel is what represents, this represents the nation and of course, a nation is nothing without people. And these people are people who are of Israel. These are Jews. These are people that are not saved necessarily, but they can be saved. Any of these people can be saved. According to Romans 9, this nation has been raised up for destruction. However, individuals within that nation, if they will not abide in unbelief, they can be saved and then they will become a part of the chosen, the elect, God's people, the Israel of God, of Abraham's seed, Jesus Christ. And this is what we are a part of. When we got saved, we became a part of this. And Jesus, He inherited all things. He was from Israel. And all things are fulfilled through Christ, not through a physical nation. So remember all that. But here in chapter 10, when Paul starts out and he says, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. He's clearly talking about the nation. He loved his country and he wanted it to be saved, even though in chapter 9 he said they're not going to be saved. God raised them up for destruction, and, but he still, he still wanted it to be saved. He still believed that you know, their you know, individuals could be saved. And we're going to see here, and you say, man, that sounds terrible. God raised them for destruction. Paul knew these scriptures were about to go to. That's why he's referring to them. And most people never go back and look at them. And that's why they miss what Paul's talking about. So, verse 2 says, For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. Now, obviously, not everyone from this nation was unsaved. Paul was from this nation. Okay? But, as a whole, this nation had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. It's like America. Okay? Amer- we can't really call America a Christian nation anymore. I think we could at one time because not every, while not every, there's never been a time where the entire nation was saved. I think there was a time when at least most of it was Christian, at least to a certain extent, where now it's far from that. And so we can't really say that anymore. But we, he's speaking in a general way. 
and he, and he, in their own misguided way, they had this zeal of God, but it was based off a false perception of God. And every religion has people like that in it today. For example, if, if you were to go talk to a religious Orthodox Jew, and you know, these people that we see praying to a wall right here, you know, you and I would say these people, not only do they not know God, they don't love God. But if you tell them that, they're going to, of course, be very offended because they think they do love God. They think they're praying to this wall because they love God. They kiss that wall. They make out with that wall, literally, because they believe the Shekinah glory of God went down into that wall when the temple was destroyed. And so they do the weird stuff that they do at that wall. But is God anywhere near any of that stuff? No. So in reality, they don't love God, even though they think they do. They, they have a zeal, but not according to knowledge. There is what they think in their mind, and then there is, the, there is reality. And that's the kind of thing that Jesus dealt with. And turn over to John chapter 8 and verse 37. Jesus is speaking, and He said, I know that ye are Abraham's seed, but ye seek to kill me, because my word hath no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto him, ye would, or Jesus saith unto them, If ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now ye seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. Ye do the deeds of your father. Then said they unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, He would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but He sent me. Why do ye not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. Now, we're going to stop right there. You all are familiar with this passage. But now, who was right in this argument? Okay. Obviously, Jesus was right in this argument. But it doesn't change the fact that the Jews thought they were defending Abraham. The Jews thought they were defending the Word of God. The Jews thought that they loved God. They thought they were the children of God, but the reality was they were the children of the devil. The, uh, the reality was they were not Abraham's children because they did not believe Christ's words. They, did not, they could not hear His words. And so understand, there's what people think and then there is reality and the reality of of what the jews were thinking in paul's day was that they thought we love god we are living according to the word of god but paul understood full well that no they are greatly in error they do not know god in fact he says in verse three for they being ignorant okay imagine telling a jew or imagine telling a scribe they were ignorant I guarantee you those scribes had more Scripture memorized than a lot of other people, but they were still ignorant. You know why? Because they didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. They weren't able to understand spiritual things. They were only able to understand carnal things. But it says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And Jesus, He would often tell them they erred not knowing the Scriptures. They got so caught up in their traditions, they weren't even capable of hearing the words of God. And you know, there's, the truth is, there's many like that in what we would call the hashtag old paths crowd today. People who've literally taken the things of God, they've taken things from the Bible, 
and they've turned them into these traditions. And they have, they've made these things so traditional, they, and they've elevated them to levels they weren't supposed to. And, and not even necessarily things of God, but things that you could associate with church and all that kind of stuff. And these people are so entrenched in these things, they can't hear the truth of Scripture. For example, a lot of the bad doctrine that people will not let go of, like Zionism, you know, like a lot of the pre-tribulation stuff that we deal with, it's because of tradition. Do you, you know, and you know what they always bring up? Do you know who taught this? And they'll start naming off all the great men. And therefore, and, and they always act like you know, they are the ones carrying the torch for that previous generation. And, but the truth is, they've actually turned Christianity, the Bible, into just these traditional things that are full of errors. And, and that's how the Jews were. They had a lot of errors in their teaching. They thought they knew the Scriptures. The hashtag Old Paz crowd, they think they know the Scriptures. But in reality, they are in error in many areas. And when you try to correct them, you can't correct them. You know why? Because of traditions or Old Paz as they call them. And, you know, it's, it's pretty frustrating, but this has always been a common problem. The Jews, they affirmed the knowledge of God, but the reality was they didn't know God. They affirmed that they were righteous, but in reality, you know, Jesus told the Pharisees, you're full of dead men's bones. They affirmed that they were children of Abraham. They identified as children of Abraham, but the reality was they were children of the devil. They affirmed a superior knowledge of the law, but in reality, they knew nothing. And understand, it's those type of people that are pushing all this gender affirmation stuff these days too. You know, we're supposed to go along with people's delusions. And you know what? If people in fairy tale land, like atheists, want to go along with that kind of stuff, that's fine. But we believe in reality here. We believe in truth here. And so we don't, we don't play along with that stuff. So, I don't care what people identify with. There's reality. And that's what Paul's doing right here. So, it didn't matter what the Jews thought about themselves. Paul's showing the truth. And he says in verse 4, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. And true believers or truly saved people, they do not profess any of the law as evidence of their salvation. It's the last thing a true believer is going to do. True believers who are ones who profess faith alone without the deeds of the law. They are, and the, the ones who profess faith without the deeds of the law are actually the ones who believe in all of the law of God. And Paul explained that in Romans 3 when he said, Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid, yea, we establish the law. Those of us who say no works are required for salvation and the works of the law are not evidence of your salvation, we are the ones who are actually admitting all of the law is good. Those who try to prove a work salvation, they always have to leave some works out because there's, you know, even they'll admit, I can't do all the works. You know, when it comes to those who say that works prove your salvation, it's only ever some works it's only some of the law because they understand even there's no saved people that keep all the law of god but it's our crowd you know we get called repentance deniers you know because of what we teach about these things but no we establish the law we're the ones that admit all of it 
is good, but we also understand that Jesus paid it all and that it is truly a free gift and we don't try to add things to it. That's not, that's not, we're the ones, we're the only ones that are true to this. So verse five says, for Moses describeth the righteousness, which is of the law, that the man which doeth these things shall live by them. Why did he say this? Because Moses didn't say we could pick and choose which laws we want to follow. He said you have to do all of them. That's why he's bringing this up. He's already brought this up earlier in this letter, but he's reminding people of it again because the Jews, they were just picking and choosing which laws they thought were important because they weren't doing all the laws. He talks about the same thing in Galatians 3.10 when he said, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. So again, if you're going to claim one work, I had a Calvinist one time tell me that if a person truly gets saved, they will at least go to church. So he's basically just picked one law. But biblically, if he's right about that one law, then it's got to be all of the law. That's the way, that's the way it works according to the Bible. And Bible says you're cursed if you don't continue. Not only do you need to repent of your sin, you need to make sure you permanently repent of those sins and you never do them again. If you're, if you're going to use the law. He, and uh, Paul was quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26, where it says, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. All of the law, not just some of it. Galatians 3, 11 says, But that no man is justified by the law on the side of God, it is evident, for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but that man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. That's in Deuteronomy 21:22. says that if a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, he shall be put to death, and thou shalt hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any wise bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God, that the land be not defiled, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. And that's pretty strong right there. But you know what? Jesus did that for us. You know why? Because we've all broken, not some of the law. We've broken the law. We're lawbreakers. Okay? And that's, that's something we all, everybody needs to understand. Everyone is a lawbreaker. Everyone, doesn't matter which ones you've kept or which ones you haven't broken. No, you've broken any of them, you're a lawbreaker. You're, you deserve to go to hell. Jesus had to become a curse for you. If you don't believe on him, you'll go to hell. It's that, it's that simple. So verse 6, But the righteousness, which is of faith, speaketh on this wise, Say not in thine heart, Who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring Christ up again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith. Now, so basically what he just showed before this, these three verses is he showed how this is what the law says. The law says, if you're going to do the law, you have to do all of it. But here is what the righteousness, that, which is of faith, speaks. Now, this wording here might be a little confusing what he just said, unless we go to Deuteronomy 30. Now, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy 30. Now, I know... I, I know you came to hear preaching and you came to hear me talk. You didn't come to actually, you know, read some Bible. But we're going to read some Bible tonight. Okay. We're going to, we, we got we got to cover this. 
Because when we go to Deuteronomy 30, all of a sudden it becomes very clear what Paul was saying right here in Romans 10. And so it says, And it shall come to pass, when all these things are come upon thee, the blessing and the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations whither the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shalt return unto the Lord thy God, and shalt obey His voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children, and all thine heart, and with all thy soul, that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity and have compassion upon thee and will return and gather thee from all nations whither the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord thy God gather thee and from thence will He fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed and thou shalt possess it and he will do thee good and multiply thee above thy fathers. And the Lord thy God will circumcise thine heart and the heart of thy seed to love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, that thou mayest live. Now, I wish I had time to go into all the things that led up to what he said, but he's been giving them a bunch of laws. Okay, We've already referred to uh, uh, Deuteronomy 21 and Deuteronomy uh, 27, I believe it is. And so now he's telling them that, you know, hey, if you disobey, there's going to be a curse. You're going to get taken captive. But if you'll repent, I'm going to bring you back into the land. And so he's telling them all he's all these things he's given them. It's after he's given them a ton of laws that they should have looked at and said, oh, that's impossible. That, you know, but that's not what they did. And so notice what the, the what God says and the Lord, thy God will put all these curses upon thine enemies and on them that hate thee, which persecuted thee. And thou shalt return and obey the voice of the Lord and do all His commandments, which I command thee this day. And the Lord thy God will make thee plenteous in every work of thine hand and in the fruit of thy body and in the fruit of thy cattle and in the fruit of thy land for good. For the Lord will again rejoice over thee for good as He rejoiced over thy fathers. If thou shalt hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep His commandments and His statutes, which are written in this book of the law. And if thou turn unto the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, for this is the commandment which I command thee this day. Watch this. It is not hidden from thee, neither is it far off. It is not in heaven that thou should say, who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it down unto us that we may hear it and do it. Does that sound familiar with what we just read in Romans 10? Neither is it beyond the sea. Now, the way Paul said it in Romans 10, or who shall descend to the deep? Neither is it beyond the sea that thou should say, who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it. You know what, what God's saying here? Now, I just told you to obey all these laws. I told you to do every one of these things and I'll give you all these blessings. And you know what? Don't think that this commandment is something that's in heaven, you know, that you have to ascend to heaven to get. Or that somebody's got to go to the deep to do it for you? You know, he, he's, he, you know what he's saying? Don't think what I'm telling you is basically beyond your reach, is, is what he's saying. And so notice what it says. But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. See, I have set before thee also this day life and good, death and evil. Now, notice he didn't give them the word right there. But he told them, the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart that thou mayest do it. You know what he's saying? 
the way you do all these laws. It's nigh. It's in your heart. And I get it. It's mysterious if you're looking at this part right here. But Paul tells us what it is. You know what the word is? It's faith. That's the word. And notice what he said. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. So the way God's telling them here, the way you do all these things, the way you achieve this righteousness, the way you obey all the laws is not through your physical abilities to keep all of these things, but you do it through faith. The reality is we are innocent. The reality is we are righteous. How did we get that righteousness? By believing. We believe unto righteousness. We don't work for it. We do not work for it. We believe unto righteousness. So when we look at all these laws in the Bible, we should look at them and get overwhelmed. But we also, when we look in the Bible, we can see that somebody named Jesus came along and he fulfilled all those things. He kept all those things. He died and paid for our sins. He made up for all of our transgressions. And even in the Bible, when they would sin, there were sacrifices and things could be done. But it was pretty crazy all the stuff that you had to do. And who can even remember all those things? I mean, is it really possible to do all these things? Not the way it is contained in the Old Testament law, but it was something that was nigh them. It was something that they were capable of doing, and that word was faith. That word was faith. And notice what it says in the very next verse, because you all know this verse. You know this verse, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart... Man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So, again, that passage in Deuteronomy, it's a little mysterious, but let's go ahead and read a little bit more of this. I think it will help. So he says, See, I have set before thee this day life and good, death and evil, in that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply, and the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away, so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that ye shall surely perish, and that ye shall not prolong your days upon the land, whither thou passest over Jordan to go to possess it. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Israel. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing, Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and thou mayest obey his voice, and thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give them. So notice what God said. If you don't do these things, if you don't have righteousness, then you know what? You will not stay in the land. What did he do? He pronounced a curse on him. He said, you will have death if you do not do these things. And what does Paul show us here in Romans 10? The way we do all these things is by believing on Christ. That's all the things of the law. They can, we can do those things by believing on Christ. We believe unto righteousness. So, let me ask you this. Did Israel keep the law? Well, of course not. Now, let me ask you this. Has Israel believed on Christ? No, they have not. So what's going to happen to them if they don't believe on Christ? They're going to be destroyed. Now, it's like people, they've got, there's, there's Baptists out there that teach 
that this is God's chosen people. They will even teach. Uh, There's a guy I talked to the other day uh, that believes that the nation of Israel, that national Israel, that we are not a part of, has eternal security. Uh, and, he, and he said it doesn't mean they're all going to heaven, but that God will always preserve this nation, even though it was gone for almost 1,900 years, <laughs> and, and, you know, and that they will, again, be restored, and, that, you know, and all, all that nonsense. But no, God told this nation, and this nation agreed to it, if you don't keep the law, you will be destroyed. And it's like people somehow think that, you know, separate from Christ, they're going to, you know, guys like John Hagee, and then you've got your, you know, your saved dispensationalists that still do weird things to somehow still make this great in God's people. And that's a lot of foolishness too. I don't want to get too sidetracked on that. But what Paul just showed us in this passage is that righteousness too has always been by faith. He went back to the Old Testament. Okay, and again, the word wasn't used in that chapter, but it was nigh them, meaning this was something they could obtain. It was something they were able to do. And they could never achieve righteousness by the law. That was impossible, but they could have faith. And so Paul is saying this, and he's telling the Romans here that if they will confess their mouth, Lord Jesus, you know, they can be saved. We believe unto righteousness. And I said this before in one of the other chapters, we do have to have righteousness to go to heaven. Paul already established that. You have to have righteousness to go to heaven. The thing is, you get righteousness not by your keeping of the law, but by believing on Christ. And that's what Israel has to do. And so these verses, I mean, those verses 9 and 10, they say it all. But it's even clearer and leaves no doubt when you go back to the passages Paul's referring to. See, Israel thought they were obeying the law, even though... Deuteronomy 30, verses 12 through 14, which is what Paul quoted, said not to think that it was something that you had to try to achieve, like you got to ascend to heaven or go to the deep or something like that. No. Salvation was always nigh them. Yeah, that's, what, that's what he was saying in that passage. That's what God was telling them in a very poetic and, and, and a beautiful way there, is that while this law that I've given you seems extreme, because it was holy and righteous. Don't think that it's beyond your reach. Don't think you've got to go to heaven to get it. Or you've got to send to heaven to get it. Or you've got to go to the deep to get it. No, it's not you. You know what God is saying? I made a way for all of you to be saved. And understand, when we are out preaching the gospel to people, we are not out there telling them about something that is beyond their reach. We're telling them something that is nigh them. We're telling them something that is very simple. And if they will just have faith, they will have righteousness. It's that simple. And folks, that's why we go soul winning. That's why we use this passage. Obviously, I wouldn't recommend going real deep and going into Deuteronomy 30. You know, we're kind of going into the deep stuff here. But understand, everything that we are looking at backs up what we do with Romans 10 when we are out giving the gospel. Without it, I mean, that's a great, I've heard, I mean, it blows my mind. It's usually Calvinists, people that try to be critical of the Romans road. But boy, the more I study the book of Romans, the more I learn about the context and everything is being discussed, the more I see that the Romans road is the way we teach it out soul is exactly right. And according to context, we're actually being true to these passages, the way we use them. 
And so verse 11 goes on to say, For the Scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And I want, I'm just going to read several verses here that say similar things that are referred to here. Isaiah 28.16 says, Therefore thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation, a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make haste. Joel 2.32 And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be delivered. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem shall be deliverance. As the Lord has said, and in the remnant whom the Lord shall call. Isaiah 45.16 They shall be ashamed and also confounded. All of them. They shall go to confusion together that are makers of idols. But Israel shall be saved in the Lord with an everlasting salvation. Ye shall not be ashamed nor confounded world without end. You say, well, that's just about the national Israel right there. Look at verse 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. For I am God and there is none else. I have sworn by myself. The word is gone out of my mouth in righteousness and shall not return that unto me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear. Surely shall one say, In the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. So notice what he said. This is exactly what Paul's teaching in the New Testament. That whosoever believeth, they'll be saved. That the salvation that he will give is an everlasting salvation. Meaning one that you're not going to lose. There's all, the Bible only teaches eternal salvation. That's the only salvation that's in the Bible. A salvation you can lose is not eternal salvation and it is not salvation. And, and so all these, th- all these promises that he gave here, these were things that he gave to Israel but it only applies to those who believe. Those who do not believe, they're not a part of Israel. They are not a part of this. So verse 12 says, For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. Now, what, what do the dispensationalists do? They're always trying to make a difference between the Jew and the Greek. You know, you got to rightly divide. you got to... Understand the difference between the Jew, the Gentile, and the Church of God. Which is one of the dumbest, dumbest, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but stupid, ignoramus, I mean just any negative word you can think of, that is dumb. Okay? Obviously, Paul telling them, when you're, when you're trying to reach people, give none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the Church of God. But in Christ, those things don't matter. In Christ, that, that does not matter. Now, it does the dispensationalist, but it doesn't to Christ. There is no difference. And notice what he says. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Understand, what he, he, that verse right there, he's referring back to all these places in the Old Testament where God said that. But it doesn't just apply to Israel. It applies to whosoever. So if a Jew calls on the Lord like God said to do it, they will be saved. If a Gentile calls on the Lord like God told the Jews to do, the Gentile will be saved just the same. And in Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. Those things don't matter. And all of the promises are going to go to those who called on the name of the Lord. Now, folks, there's no calling on the name of the Lord and bypassing Jesus Christ. This, Jesus is the way into the Israel of God. And so while all these verses 
were directed to Israel, Paul made it crystal clear they apply to whosoever. So verse 14, How then should they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how should they believe in Him in whom they have not heard? And how should they hear without a preacher? And how should they preach? Except they be sent, as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And Paul it here is showing the necessity of a preacher and he's backing it up with Old Testament scriptures. He's also saying this too because what did he say in the beginning of the chapter? It was his desire for Israel to be saved. He wanted to go to them. He had a continual sorrow in his heart, he mentioned in chapter 9, for his people. He wanted them to be saved and so they needed, they needed a preacher. Now they had preachers there. They had preachers. But you know what? Paul, he didn't want to just depend on other preachers. He's like, I want to get there. I want to do something. And it was shortly after he wrote the book of Romans. That's exactly what he did. He went back and he preached to them. Didn't go very well, but he, he was doing what he could. And let me tell you something right now. If you really love somebody, you're not going to depend on other soul winners and other preachers. Okay? I mean, it'd be wonderful if another soul winner or another preacher reached them, but are you really going to depend on them? If you really love somebody, you know what? You're going to do it. You're going to do it because people have to have a preacher. And so uh, he's quoting Isaiah 52 in verse 7. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace, that bringeth good tidings of good things, that publisheth salvation, that saith unto Zion, Thy God reigneth. Thy watchmen shall lift up the voice, and the voice together they shall sing. For they shall see eye to eye when the Lord shall bring again Zion. Break forth unto joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord hath comforted His people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare His holy arm. In the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Notice what Paul referred to here is something too. A lot of people are going to say this is in the future. No. God has already brought salvation to Jerusalem. He is all, the Redeemer has already come. He has already purchased us. The fact that Israel has not believed, that is, or many of them have not believed, that's their own fault. Jesus did what He was supposed to do. He brought salvation. He redeemed them. And, and He did it in a great way. I like how it says He made, he made bare His holy arm. What does that mean? What do, you, what do you do when you want to show off your muscle? You know, you, you pull your sleeve back and you let everybody see it to show, to show your strength. And that's what God did. That's what Christ did when He raised from the dead. He showed everyone, yeah, I'm bringing salvation. I took that brutal death on the cross. I was dead for three days and I'm back. I'm alive again forevermore. I, and the, Him doing that, that was Him showing His strength. He has already redeemed Israel. And sadly, many people are lying. They are lying to Jews today. Well, they don't know they're lying, but it's still a lie. Okay? If you're lying, even if you think it's true, it's still... Or if you're telling a lie, even if you think it's true, it's still a lie. And you are lying. And bless their hearts, you know, they're, they're trying, but they're wrong. But they keep telling them something special is coming for them in the future rather than telling them the truth that it's already come. Isaiah 49.7 says, Thus saith the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel... And His Holy One, to Him whom man despiseth, to Him whom the nation abhorreth, to a servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, 
princes also shall worship because of the Lord that is faithful and the Holy One of Israel, and He shall choose thee. And in my Bible, there's a note added that says the restoration of Israel. So now we're supposed to read this next part too, and we're supposed to think that this is about something in the future for Israel. Folks, this already happened that we're about to read. What we are about to read has already happened. Thus saith the Lord. Could somebody, I dare somebody to call me a preterist right now because I'm about to say a prophecy already happened. Somebody call me a preterist right now. Come on, I won't punch you, but I, I, I will with the Bible. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove you wrong, prove you're an idiot. This has already happened. Okay? Thus saith the Lord, in acceptable time have I heard thee, and in the day of salvation have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth, to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Some people are still saying there's a new, the new covenant, the, there's a difference between the New Testament, the new covenant, the new covenant is still to come for Israel. Heretic, heresy. You say, no, this hasn't happened yet. Yes, it has. Second Corinthians chapter six, verse one says, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he saith, I have heard thee and at time accepted and in the day of salvation have I succured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. The day of salvation promised to Israel. Paul said it's now. This is the time of salvation. The work that God promised to do for Israel, He did it. And He, he did it. He saved thousands of them at Pentecost. He saved thousands of them in that first century. There was a great revival. Without, without a doubt, Paul said, now is that time. And yet, but nobody have people doing it today? Oh, no, it's coming in the future. There's still something come. God's not done. Well, yeah, the rapture hasn't come. He's not, he, they can still be saved, but when the rapture comes, it's too late for them after that. They're done. No, there, there's going to be this 70th week again for them that where God's going to go back to dealing with them. 144,000 Jews are going to get saved. You, you, you all know the typical pre-trib mantra that they can't prove with the Bible and I can't disprove. Any of us can disprove. Absolute, absolutely ridiculous that they're still doing this. But to claim God still has to do something for Israel is to deny the finished work of Christ on the cross. He already did it. Whatever needs to be done for Israel, he already did. No, they got to have the rapture first. There's a guy the other day, I, I played the video that said it, that say that the rapture is going to be a sign for the Jews because the Jews require a sign. Oh, because what Jesus already did for them wasn't good enough? Because Jesus also said, a wicked and adulterous generation seek that after a sign, but there's not going to be any sign given except for the sign of the prophet Jonas. You got, they got their sign and it didn't work just like Abraham said when he said if they won't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe the one rose from the dead. But because in their rebellion, they continue to say, we require a sign. You know what? What are the dispensationalists? Well, I mean, they're the chosen people, so I guess God's going to have to do it. No, he's not. He's not going to have to do it. They're not going to get it. They're not going to get another sign. All the things that were promised have already came. So verse 16, and we're running out of time. I got a lot more Old Testament scripture to go to. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 
And people, they still can't figure out that salvation isn't a guarantee for Israel. They must believe, and like Isaiah, they must believe to be saved, but like Isaiah prophesied, they don't all believe. They don't all believe. Do you realize that Isaiah, too, in that, that passage that Paul just quoted, that, do you realize, does anybody know what chapter that is in Isaiah that Paul just quoted where it says, uh, who hath believed our report? Isaiah 53. Probably the clearest, one of the clearest messianic passages in all the Bible. Probably one of the clearest death, burial, and resurrection scriptures in the Old Testament. And, and it was also in that passage where it said that they, it's prophesying that they wouldn't believe. Look what it says in Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. It was prophesied over and over again by Isaiah that they would reject him. And that's what they did. Verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Okay. Those of you thinking God still has to do something for Israel, again, it's already done. Because again, how can they hear without a preacher? So have they not heard? Yes. Verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. Okay, That first century church, they got the gospel to the whole world. All the Jews heard the salvation uh, that Jesus Christ brought, the, the coming of the Messiah. It was announced to the Jews and synagogues all over the whole world. They had heard. They had a chance. They heard the gospel. God is not required to do something for them again. But what are people saying? No, when you come back the next time, they're going to see him and then they're all going to believe. Wrong. Wrong. He already came. They all heard. But, like Isaiah prophesied, they didn't all believe. So verse 18, or 19, But I say, did not Israel know? For Moses saith, I will provoke you to jealousy by them that are no people, and by a foolish nation I will anger you. Deuteronomy 32. Turn over to Deuteronomy 32. We've got to look at this. We've got to take time to do this. Verse 19, I've got to go fast. And when the Lord saw it, He abhorred them. Talking about Israel. God abhorred Israel? Don't you dare think negative thoughts about them. I probably won't ever think as negatively as God did. Because I'm not holy. Because of the provoking of His sons and of His daughters. And He said, I will hide My face from them. I will see what their end shall be. For they are a very froward generation. Children in whom is no faith. They have moved Me to jealousy with that which is not God. They have provoked Me to anger with their vanities. And I will move them to jealousy with those which are not a people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. That's what Paul just quoted. For a fire is kindled in mine anger and shall burn under the lowest hell. No, it won't. He's just going to save them all when he comes back. He's bluffing right here. They're the ones that always say, we're the ones saying God broke his promise to Israel. I don't think God's bluffing right here. He's going to do this. It says, 
and shall consume the earth with her increase and set on fire the foundations of the mountains. I will heap mischiefs upon them. I will spend mine arrows upon them. They shall be burnt with hunger and devoured with burning heat and with bitter destruction. I will also send the teeth of beasts upon them with the poison of serpents, of the dust, the sword without. And terror within shall destroy both the young man and the virgin and the suckling also with the man of gray hairs. I said I would scatter them into corners. I would make them the remembrance of them to cease from among them. Were it not that I feared the wrath of the enemy, lest their adversaries should behave themselves strangely, and lest they should say, Our hand is high, and the Lord hath not done all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, neither is there any understanding in them. Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. How should one chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight? Except their rock had sold them, and the Lord had shut them up. For their rock is not as our rock. Neither are even our enemies themselves being judges. For their vine is the vine of Sodom and of the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of dragons and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me and sealed up among my treasures? To me belongeth vengeance and recompense. Their foot shall slide in due time. For the day of their calamity is at hand and the thing shall come upon them and make haste. For the Lord shall judge His people and repent Himself. For his servants, when he seeth that their power is gone, and there is none shut up or left, and he shall say, Where are their gods, their rock in whom they trusted, which did eat of the fat of their sacrifices, and drank the wine of their drink offerings? Let them rise up and help you, and be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. For I will lift up my hand to heaven and say, I live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and my hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. Now, who's he talking to here? He's talking to Israel. And he's saying a lot of really mean, I don't want to say mean, it's just. I should say rough stuff. But they they had it coming. But you have people look, no, no, it's all going to end good for them. No, it's not. It absolutely is not. To claim good is coming for Israel is to deny Romans 9. It's to deny uh, Deuteronomy 32. Romans 10.20. But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Go to Isaiah chapter 65, last passage. Isaiah chapter 65. I had one other one I was going to go to if I had time, but we don't have time. Isaiah chapter 65. I'm going to have to save it for next week. And it is a crucial passage that is so ignored but isaiah 65 1 i am sought of them that asked not for me i am found of them that sought me not i said behold me behold me unto a nation that was not called by my name i i have spread out my hands all day unto a rebellious people which walketh in a way that was not good after their own thoughts a people that provoketh me to anger continually to my face that sacrificeth in gardens and burneth incense upon altars of brick, 
which remain among the graves and lodge in the monuments, which can eat swine's flesh and broth of abominable things in their vessels, which say, Stand by thyself. Come not near to me, for I am holier than thou. These are a smoke in my nose and a fire that burneth all day. You think about just how mad God got when we were in Skokie witnessing to those Jews and they were acting like you dirty, filthy goyim that are not worthy to shine our shoes. That's how they acted with us. You know why? Because they were holier. They thought they were holier than us. But you know what? Truth is, while well, you know, they probably washed their feet before they went to synagogue. We hadn't even washed our feet. But the Bible says our feet are beautiful. You know why? Because we were bringing the gospel to those people. And you know what? When they were acting all holier than thou to us, you know what God says about that? There's smoke in my nose. Oh, they're God, they're the apple of his eye. No, they're a smoke in his nose, is what they are. Is what they're they, they're a fire that burneth all day. Behold, it is written before me. I will not keep silence, but I will recompense, even recompense into their bosom. Your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together, saith the Lord, which have burned incense upon the mountains and blasphemed me upon the hills. Therefore will I measure their former work into their bosom. Thus saith the Lord, as new wine is found in the cluster, and one saith, destroy it not, for a blessing is in it. So will I do for my servant's sake, that I might not destroy them all. And I will bring forth a seed out of Jacob and out of Judah an inheritor of my mountains and mine elect shall inherit it and my servants shall dwell there and Sharon shall be a fold of flocks in the valley of Acre, a place for the herds to lie down for my people that have sought me. Does anyone guess who the elect is? Does anybody want to guess who the inheritor is? Right there. Jesus. Jesus. So yes, in all this cursing of Israel and all this promise of judgment, there is hope in Israel. The hope in Israel is Jesus Christ. That's where the hope is. This is the hope of Israel right here. Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Those who do not get in Christ are doomed. They are done for. And the Bible, and Paul's already made it clear. There is a nation that will be destroyed. There is a nation, and yet, and, and don't want to get ahead of myself, but it, it got destroyed. It's been destroyed. What we have today is fake. Okay? And we'll, we'll, talk about, we'll talk more about that next week. But the amount of Scripture that one has to ignore to claim a bright future for national Israel is astounding. What do they do with all these passages? Was God bluffing in all these passages? Absolutely not. Obviously, Paul was sorrowful for it. Paul had the exact same attitude as Daniel in Daniel chapter 9 when for 23 verses, or 20 verses he's praying and confessing Israel's sins and begging God for mercy. But God sent the angel and said, no, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people. They're going to get it. That's basically what he told them. But there was hope in there. A Messiah was was promised in there and there is no hope of anything there is no inheritance there is nothing outside of jesus christ the bible is crystal clear how the promises will be fulfilled they are fulfilled in christ judgment came on israel it's over what people are saying is going to come for fake israel today already came 
It all, it literally, it already came. The judgment, judgment was actually what was pronounced for this nation, and it came. It happened, it, it, just like the prophet said. What's been going on for the last 1900 years is nothing more than a new religion that was birthed out of the bowels of hell called the synagogue of Satan. They have stolen, in blasphemy, they have stolen the names of God. They have stolen the name of Judaism. They have said that they are Jews and they are not, but they do lie. They call themselves the seed of Abraham. But in reality, they're Antichrist. They're Antichrist. And I believe it's that Antichrist religion will eventually take over the world. And these last two chapters have condemned Israel in ways that are crystal clear, irrefutable, and sadly, people ignore them by just changing a few phrases, adding a word here and there in Romans chapter 11. And they put, the, and people are taking phrases from Romans 11 and attaching meaning to them that I can promise you the Apostle Paul never intended. And when we go through chapter 11 next week, I mean, it's, it's going to leave no doubt what it's talking about. It's, it's going to leave absolutely no doubt. And so thank God for the cross. Thank God that we are able to have righteousness. But it can, it, but it's, and, it, and thank God it's so nigh. It's, it's right there. Anyone can take it. Anyone. When we go out and talk to people, we are not telling them to do something hard. It's amazing the looks we get when we knock on people's doors. It's like they think, oh, what do these people want from me? What are they trying to get me to do? We Practically nothing. What we are bringing, it's naive. It's just, it's faith. It's that simple. And you could believe unto righteousness if you'll just believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this wonderful chapter. Thank you, Lord, so much for what you did for us uh, with salvation. It's it's such an amazing thing. And the more we learn about it, the just uh, uh, more thrilled I am with it and the more confident I am to just uh, take this Bible and to take the, these verses from Romans and share them with as many people as possible. And I pray you'll help us to continue doing this and help us to see many more people saved as a result. And Lord, we pray also through these uh, messages, maybe it'll help some people understand the truth about Israel and that people will stop lying to Jews, uh, giving them a false hope, help them to realize the urgency of right now. Now is their day of salvation that you promised them. And so I pray that uh, we'll, we'll stop leading Jews to hell with uh, false teaching. In your name we pray. Amen.